2: Hello, and welcome back to the Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. Here's why you should watch today's episodes The Notorious Triad. We have had new developments concerning three companies that shook the crypto industry this year Celsius, Terra, and Three Arrows Capital. And we'll do a deep dive into the latest technical analysis with Imran Laka from Options Insight, who will be joining us live. I'm Ash Bennington. I've got Marco Oliveira with me. How's it going, Marco? It's going great, man. I'm excited for today's episode. How are you doing, Ash? I'm doing great, man. Excited to be here with you. By the way, I should say, if you're enjoying this show, subscribe to Real Vision Crypto. It's always free. Also, a quick message to our viewers. While we upgrade our website, our live chat feature is temporarily disabled. In the meantime, we're monitoring the comments section. So please put your questions and comments there on the Real Vision website. And if you're watching YouTube, smash the like button, subscribe, and don't forget to hit the notification bell. Now, let's jump right in to the latest price action. Bitcoin has been stable around the $20,000 price point. It's basically, call it flat on a 24-hour basis, unlike the major US equity indices, which are up around 5% for the week. Ethereum has made even bigger strides in the past 24 hours. It's solidly above the $1,300 level. Marco, what are you looking at?
1: Well, Ash, I'm looking at XRP right now, and it continues to make gains. It's trading close to 50 cents. Ripple Labs, the company associated with XRP, has had some victories in its legal battles against the SEC. Ripple, of course, has criticized the SEC's opposition to present documents. In a court letter published Wednesday, Ripple said the SEC mischaracterizes
2: both the briefs and the laws. So that's what I'm looking at right now, Ash. Thanks, Marco. We'll obviously have a lot more on price action with Imran Mlaka later in the show. Before that, let's take a look at today's top news stories. You might remember last week, we reported that Alex Mashinsky, former CEO of bankrupt crypto lender Celsius Network, withdrew about $10 million from the company in May, just weeks before it went bankrupt. According to a report by Coindesk, he was not the only top executive to do so. Based on new court records seen by Coindesk, Chief Strategy Officer daniel leon withdrew about seven million dollars in late may and an additional four million dollars worth of cell tokens uh denoted as collateral chief technical technology officer nuke goldstein also withdrew 13 million dollars and an additional 7.8 worth of sell tokens also denoted as collateral combined that's nearly 42 million dollars more difficult headlines for celsius marco
1: Yeah, it definitely seems that way, Ash. They just keep coming. We already knew about Mashinsky. Now we've heard about two more people. It's not a good look. Both Mashinsky and CSO Daniel Leon resigned within the last two weeks. To kind of remind viewers or perhaps new people to the space, they're watching this show for the first time. Celsius froze customer accounts in June before filing for bankruptcy in July. It's important to note that under US law, because the withdrawals took place within 90 days of the bankruptcy, they could potentially be clawed back for the benefit of the creditors. creditors. Uh, It's also worth noting that Coindesk says several other top executives, including the chief compliance officer, the chief risk officer, And Chris Ferraro, the new CEO, did not do any significant withdrawals during that time period. And as a final point, uh, assets from Celsius are set to be auctioned off next month. The next court hearing for the bankruptcy case is actually tomorrow. So we're bound to learn more about it in the coming days, Ash.
2: Yeah, another company that created pain in the markets, uh, of course, was Terra, which is behind the so-called algorithmic stablecoin Terra USD and its sister token, Luna. Reportedly, there has been the first arrest in the case following the meltdown of the two tokens. There's also a separate development regarding Terra's founder, Duquan. Marco, what do we know?
1: Yeah, well, I'll take that question in two parts, as right. So first, we saw reports in South Korean media. Now, Forecast has confirmed that Terrace, head of General Affairs, has been arrested under charges of violating the Capital Markets Act uh, for fraud and breach of duty, among other things. We only know the suspect's last name, which is U Y O O. Forecast says that this was all revealed by the prosecutor. You had an arrest warrant out for him since September 14th. South Korean media says he was part of Do Kwon's inner circle, and prosecutors are alleging that you use bot programming to inflate and manipulate the market price of Terra's cryptocurrency. And on the second part, speaking of Do Kwan, the South Korean government says he has 14 days to hand over his passport or it will be revoked. His location right now is unknown and Interpol has issued him a red notice, Ash.
2: Yeah, by the way, completing the trio, Three Arrows Capital, according to Decrypt Media, the bankrupt crypto lender had a lavish NFT collection. It was part of Starry Night Capital Fund launched by 3AC. Now, that collection is in the hands of 3AC liquidators Tineo. What's going to happen to it, Marco? Well, Ash,
1: Taneo is going to auction off the collection. That's going to include NFTs from Artblocks, CryptoPunks, and, and Rare Pepe. To give an idea of what prices we could expect from the auction, one Art Blocks NFT cost $5.7 million alone when the fund bought it last year. Decrypt says most of the assets were transferred to a new wallet this week. So this is definitely moving along. The, li- the liquidator, Taneo, of course, says that the sale is going to help. Cover 3AC's losses. Again, as a reminder to folks who may be new to the space or new to the show, Three Arrows filed for bankruptcy in June. It claimed it owed $3.5 billion to its creditors. It blamed the collapse of Terra for its insolvency, among other factors. And obviously, you know, the last point to make is: you know, as Elaine, Paul, and Chris uh Chris Mattern spoke about yesterday to right now is a very different environment for NFTs Ash. Uh, broadly speaking, they're not doing too hot. So it's likely that a lot less is going to be recuperated from the sale than was originally paid.
2: Yeah, not doing too hot probably an understatement when we look at the price action across the board on the NFT side. Well, that's it in terms of news flow for this segment. I'm going to pass the baton over to you Marco for your interview with Imran Laka. I'll be back at the end of the show with key takeaways. Take it away Marco. Sounds good Ash. Uh, looking forward to you coming back on. Imran, I really wanted to
1: start with the macro big picture. Uh, so we just had a jolt numbers come out yesterday from the Bureau of Labor Statistics, jolt being the job openings and l- labor turnover. We saw a 10% plunge of one8 one million job openings to 10.5 million from 11.17 million. So we're starting to see the softening of labor market conditions. I know you've spoken a lot about Fed pivot speculations, and this is kind of one of the things that the Fed is looking at uh, the the labor market. It's one of the things that I think makes them embolden, right? Because the Fed has this dual mandate, right? Maximum sustainable employment, but also price stability, meaning inflation. And so they feel like they can be more aggressive, more hawkish towards inflation because you know the the uh, uh, the labor market is is doing well, and now we're starting starting to see these softening of labor market conditions. Uh, but then on Sunday we had this Fed meeting, emergency Fed meeting, and a lot of people are speculating, hey, they're going to pivot sooner than expected. What are your thoughts? Give us your macro outlook.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's a little bit premature to think they're going to pivot. Um, obviously, we saw a bit of panicking from other central banks, like the Bank of England, obviously coming and intervening in their bond market. We've had Japan intervening in the FX market. Same with PBOC. So people are now starting to think, okay, this this is just a precursor to the Fed coming in, right? So, but the Fed's in a bit of a different position, right? Obviously, the dollar wrecking ball is going and causing havoc all over the place, and markets panicked a bit on that. Clearly, things have started to break, but with what the Bank of England have done for now, it's kind of eased some of that stress. You've seen a decent bounce in the pound. You've seen the dollar pull back. Um, you know, I think it's a little bit premature. I think you need to see, you know, the jobs data, a trend in the jobs data. I think the jobs data is notoriously noisy, um, so you need to see non-farms coming down as well to confirm what the jolts are saying. And and I don't think one month of data is going to be enough to make that call. Uh, and then you also need to see what CPI looks like next week, right? So markets to me felt a little bit overdone last week. We had been calling. Um, that we thought we were going to see an interim little short-term bottom into month-end. We thought there was going to be a decent amount of equity selling into month-end was going to push the market down, and then we were ripe for a bit of a bounce. We seem to have had that bounce. The question now becomes, does the bounce have legs? I I think if the S&P stays above 3,700, I think the bounce bounce can have legs, Um, partly just because sentiment as usual got very beaten up again, you tend to have these reflexive bounces. When sentiment gets that low within a bear market. Uh, we have a lot of systematic CTA types in the market that are going to be forced back into the market and forced to buy it if we go higher. So you know, above 3,800, for example, in the S&P, I think there's going to be more forced buying from these kind of rules-based funds coming back in, and that could take us back towards 3,900 to the 4,000 area on S&P. So that's kind of my base case right now. If we roll over through 3,700, I'll be pretty quick to stop out of any longs that I've got into. But right now, in the short term, I think risk assets have got a shot at going a little bit higher in the short term. But that's not to say the medium-term backdrop is looking rosy. And I think by year end, we're very likely to take out the lows.
1: At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Well, speaking about the bounces and also the, you know, the, the, the how stocks have been performing lately, let's jump into your first chart here. Uh, explain to me what's going on here in this chart.
0: Yeah, so this is just part of our kind of volatility dashboard. And, and you know, we, we've grown that out to crypto now as well. Um, and the idea is that it's not that easy for a lot of US investors to trade options on crypto. Um, because Deribit is the main venue and and it's not really open to U.S. investors, so in, in an attempt to kind of make that world a bit more accessible to our clients, we thought we're going to start looking a bit at crypto exposed equities as well. Um, so we've got a bunch of uh, stocks there, you know, from the likes of uh, the Bitcoin ETF BITO, uh, which is kind of your Bitcoin proxy, but then you've also got MicroStrategy, Raya, Mara, Coinbase, Block, all those sort of names. And all we're doing is we're just kind of analyzing the relative performance of those names relative to what Bitcoin and Ethereum are doing. And then we're also screening the, the realized vol and implied vols, the ratios between them, and kind of some of the percentile ranks of where the implied vols are. To get a sense for whether we, what sort of strategy is going to be making the most sense right now in these names. So that's our kind of strategy compass, which is like that dartboard at the bottom, which is what we have across all of our assets and all of our dashboards, where we just look at a simple mean reversion framework to say, what strategy are we pointing towards, right? When volatility is low and the market is quite stretched, we're pointing towards maybe buying some puts. If volatility is high and the market is stretched to the upside, we're looking at maybe selling some calls. So you can kind of see Mara there, uh, sorry, Coinbase there, MicroStrategy screening as potential in that call selling territory. Vol could be a little bit higher. It's probably a bit more neutral. So we're near the bearish risk reversal, right? So what that means is, if you've had some of these names, you know, Mara's up seventeen percent on the week, Coinbase up, Coinbase and MicroStrategy up ten percent apiece on the week. If you've had those names, this might not be the worst time to start putting some risk reversal hedges in place, where you buy puts and sell calls to protect some of those gains that you've made. Basically, because we don't think, you know, the macro environment is still likely to deteriorate. We think going into year end, whilst this rally might have another couple of weeks left in it, um, we think, you know, putting on sort of risk reversal hedges for year end um, against any crypto holdings you've got kind of makes sense, right?
1: Yeah, that that makes sense. And by risk reversal hedges, I'm guessing you're meaning selling the calls and buying the puts. And uh, using that pr- that premium to, you know, finance the, the the purchase of puts. I know we're gonna get into this whole strategy, the compass later as we get into the other things. I have a couple questions about that, but I'm gonna save that for later. I kind of want to start with, I guess, the upper part of the chart. Uh the first thing here is, you know, the realized versus implied vol. I noticed that you're, you know, when when you're looking at this ratio of implied vol to realized volatility, these percentages seem to be the one month over the 10 days. W- what's the reasoning for that? Like why are we not doing like one month over 30 days? Or, you know, the other ones, I think it's three months versus 10 days, for example.
0: I mean, I mean, you you can look at various metrics, right? You can, you can, there's, there's a whole host of different ways of looking at it. I tend to like to look at 10-day realize because it's faster moving, right? So where, when the market has a move and then stabilizes, if you're looking at a 30-day realize number to get a sense for how the market's moving, it's gonna stay inflated until that big move rolls out of your sample, right? So I don't like that. I like the I like the realized data that I'm looking at to be a bit more fast moving. Okay. Yeah. Um. So that's why I go for a shorter sort of maturity on the realized. In terms of the implied, you know, the one month implied is kind of the sweet spot because it contains it contains the Greek of gamma, but it also can, contains a bit of Vega on it, basically. Okay. So you can have an opinion about which way implied vol is going to go and actually have exposure to that. If you trade an option that's too short dated, like one to two weeks. Whilst it's got a ton of gamma on it, that gamma profile is quite unstable if you move away from the strike. And also, you don't really have that much vega, and that vega is decaying pretty fast every day because the options nearly expired. So I tend to think the the one month is the sweet spot when I'm looking at implied and, what, what I, and to formulate a view on that. Uh, and then the realize I want something that catches up quickly to when the market has started moving or has stopped moving. So that's why I look at the 10 day.
1: Yeah. So, still look at this first chart, Imran. Um, I also noticed these. uh, These you have this uh, relative performance. And are you where? Where I guess are you getting those figures from the relative performance? Is it coming from you know the 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 spot prices that you have here and comparing
0: it? Yeah, yeah. I'm just looking at the history of spot prices going back a week, going back a month, and going back three months, and just then normalizing it to that's the starting point. So if your starting point was a week ago. You can see, you know, Mara is is smashing it up seventeen percent, right? So that's the the blue line, which is at the top, right? If your if your starting point was a month ago, how have all these things moved in relation to each other? You can see Ethereum is at the bottom of the pile because on a one month basis, Ethereum's down, you know, sixteen percent because of that post merge weakness that we saw, right? So it's just kind of normalizing it to a, a a snapshot in time in the past and seeing how how these things have evolved relative to each other on that time frame makes a lot of sense man all right well let's move on to the
1: second chart crypto volatility summary here <clears throat> uh, explain this chart what's going on here
0: uh, imran yes yeah, so so what we look at here is the relative value we look at the term structure of bitcoin and ethereum and how that's been evolving so that's the implied volatilities for different maturities we also look at the realized versus implied differential and how that's been evolving. And then lastly, we look at the spread between Ethereum vol and Bitcoin vol to see what's going on there. So if you look at the top two charts there, you know that kind of shows you that the realized volatility has been coming down, which is the yellow line, across both assets. So we're down to around 50 realized on Bitcoin and around 60, just under 60 on um, Ethereum. So, you know, actually pretty close, to, they're quite close to each other. It's nearly 50 on Ethereum. Um, so then, and the carry is just the difference between, we take the average. We take the average between the seven day and the 30 day implied minus the 10 day realized, right, to get the carry. So you can see the carry is positive on both assets, which means selling volatility in either of these assets is yielding you some, some money right now, because the realized isn't keeping pace with the implied. But that's particularly true in the case of Ethereum, where that spreads quite juicy at around 20 vol points right now. So Ethereum vols looking relatively more expensive than Bitcoin is on a gamma versus theta perspective. Uh, if you look at the term structure, you can see both term structures are collapsing into contango, which is an upward sloping curve. Uh, that's quite normal when markets are not realising, as we're seeing in crypto right now. Uh, and then on the on the uh, right-hand side, you can see the spread, uh, and that re- really that tells you the story of what happened post-merge, where we've got the the grey line of what that spread used to look like a month ago before the merge happened. Uh, it was in the 30 vol range, and now it's mean reverting back down to more like 15 vol differential. Which is closer to where it kind of has been over the long run. It could even go as low as 10 vols if things continue to evolve the way they are and Bitcoin and Ethereum realize similar vols like they are now around 50 55. Right? So there's still potentially room, but, but the easy money's been made. It was probably our biggest trade. Well, it's our biggest trade that we've had on for a while in crypto. Uh, we were banging the drum about this for a good month or two, saying Ethereum vol is going to get whacked um and it looks like that was true that's that's what happened
1: very interesting. Well, staying on this exact same chart here, I kind of want to. I think it might be really good to you kind of re, kind of reiterate some of what you said. Uh, you know, for the layperson viewer at home, um, I, I know that, that some of these. So, you're, the yellow line, this 10-day realized uh, volatility, meaning historical volatility, volatility that we've actually seen take place. The green and white line are the implied volatilities, but they're denoted by ATM7, which is like a seven-day volatility at them for at-the-money strikes, correct? And the other That's one. Right that's Apple right at money, money roll for 7 days, days. days and for 30 days yeah that's right yeah and then that fourth indicator which is the red the the, the kind of the red carry it's a po- it's a kind of cost of carry positive carry or negative uh carry that you have there and it's essentially what you're saying is that you're taking the average of the white and the green line and you're subtracting the realized volatility and that difference between the two of them is you know, it kind of gives you an indication of you know what what type of trades to be putting in. You mentioned that when it's positive, it's good to be uh, selling or you know kind of shorting. I, I believe the the options, and if it's negative, it's it would be the opposite. I guess would be the case would be long awesome. uh, long option calls. You got yeah. it. You got it. You awesome. Totally got awesome. It. You could trade. You could trade as many options as you like. Now you passed. Yeah, but I actually uh, studied the the Darebit. They have like a course on there, and I was actually watching your video, so you know, it really makes a lot of sense. So I'm I'm glad. Um, The other thing I wanted to mention, you mentioned that so. Essentially, when you're looking at this, if people want to get like a snapshot look at these at this chart, you know, the more that they're diverging, the high, you can just kind of assume that the carry is going to to increase because the um, there's more of a difference between the two, and either whether the yellow line is above or you know or below, it's kind of telling
0: us the positive or negative, and so that can kind of give people an indication of trace. Yeah, and the and the idea is that this stuff tends to be quite mean reverting. Right, so you're yeah. not going to see you're not going to see the carry like going up and up and up and up to fifty volts <laughs> unless there's a reason, right? Like you yeah. had that in Ethereum over the merge because the Ethereum was settled down, wasn't moving that much, but no one wanted to sell vol because they were scared of a big gap. So the carry got up to forty or fifty volts temporarily, but that's very rare and that only happens going into an event, right? So normally the carry is going to be more in this ballpark of ten or twenty volts at the high end and and it will be it might be like even closer to zero or negative when the market starts moving around Makes a lot of sense, man. And then I want to move on to the next thing here with this term
1: structure. So you're measuring kind of the difference between, uh, sorry, um, it's this last chart, uh, the previous chart, uh, Nico, uh, still chart two. Uh, when we're talking about term structure uh, here, uh, so the Bitcoin's uh, implied volatility is around this 70, where ETH is around 85. And so what you're saying here pretty much is that you're expecting implied volatility to contract or the difference between the two. So either Bitcoin coming to meet Ethereum or Ethereum coming. Down to meet Bitcoin. Is that correct?
0: Yeah, if the spread continues to go down, yeah. So like you yes. know, it was very expensive at 30 vols because it was pricing in a big move for the merge. We had yeah. the merge, now it's repriced down to 15. And but the realized vol for the 10 day, the spread between them is the yellow dotted line on the right hand chart. And you can see that it's less than five, right? So if mm-hmm. we continue to trade that way, where realized differential between ETH and Bitcoin is sub five. Don't expect that implied, don't expect that implied spread to stay at 15, right? It's gonna come down probably to even sub 10 at some point. I mean, if we look at a historical chart going back to what this spread belongs at for various maturities going back two years, there's been times where it's traded at zero, a flat. So even at fifteen, it's still looking quite rich. Yeah. So I think I think that's the way we're headed, unless Ethereum suddenly catches fire and starts moving again. But right now, it seems like the macro environment is a bit more dominant than anything crypto-specific. In which case, we're probably still headed in that way. Makes sense. Makes sense. All right, Imran, I
1: want to move on to the third chart here that you that you uh, brought up here, the volatility dashboard for Bitcoin.
0: Walk us through what we what's going on here. Yeah, so here here we just sort of bring in for each individual asset all of the charts, we can see it in one place and make some informed decisions if we want to do any trading. Um, So we've got the spot chart, obviously showing that. Bitcoin's just been lingering down there near the bottom of the range. It did a pretty good job at holding 18k when the S&P broke down last week into month end. So it felt like you know a bit of decorrelation going on there and relative strength coming out of crypto, which is making me a little bit more positive on crypto. The fact that we didn't break 18k when the S&P broke 3600. Um, vol wise, implied vol keeps grinding lower in Bitcoin in line with realized. Um, but realize, you know, realize is pretty low. Realize at about fifty, whereas implied is still in the sixties. So still a bit of differential there. So implied might need to keep coming down if things stay the way they are. Uh, the right hand side, we look at twenty-five delta skew. We look at one month and three month skew. Actually, on this one, uh, sorry, we look at that's probably a typo there. We look at one week and one month skew on crypto because one-week skew tends to be quite informative on crypto. There's a lot of speculative action within crypto options markets. right? So you often see that one-month skew being very reactive to market sentiment. So you want to kind of know what that's doing. But we've seen put skew coming down recently. Um, In Bitcoin, Uh, you can see the term structure changes there on a monthly and a weekly basis as well. And then you have got our good old strategy compass, which looks like that dartboard or that target in the middle. So generally, looks like vol's are low, Uh, looks like spot has had a little bit of a bounce here to 20k. So if anything, still probably a a put purchase. Uh, I wouldn't go too short dated on any put purchases, because I'm still a little bit tactically bullish on risk for the next few weeks uh, as we head into earnings. Uh, but coming out of that, I think putting on year-end hedges via buying puts or risk reversals or put spreads, even if you don't want to spend out, spend that money outright on puts is probably the way forward uh, to protect some of that crypto. Generally, you know, that's the way I'm doing it. I've owned crypto for a few years now, and I'm kind of since we had a decent explosion from 2020 up to you know 5x type moves, then I've always been having some sort of hedges in place against my crypto. So I'm almost I'm running a hedge ratio all the time via either outright puts or risk reversals or put spreads or whatever it is and right now I'm a little bit lighter on my hedges because I'm tactically bullish but I'll be pretty quick to reinitiate those hedges uh you know either if the market rolls over through 18k because then we accelerate and probably can get as low as 12k on bitcoin in my opinion um or you know, if we get that bounce to kind of twenty-two to twenty-four k that I'm looking for in the short term, then I'll be putting on some new hedges, some fresh hedges there as well. Very, very interesting.
1: Uh, so I do want to stay on this chart as well. Uh, and you know here I noticed like this you know this this uh, strategy compass here you have the you know the X marks the spot, and you have it in between this thing where it says buy straddle strangle, and then on the other side it's bearish risk reversal. But it's erring more towards the bearish risk risk reversal. I mean, is that saying that you know because of the, its placement there, it's saying you're erring towards a bearish risk
0: reversal strategy, but a short straddle or like a, a yeah, the, that- buy. Strength. So if yeah. the way to the way to kind of understand this sort of simplistic framework is that the the x axis is spot and the y axis is vol okay, okay. Like vol. so on the x axis we if we're far to the right it means spot is looking a bit stretched on the upside right looking at the bollinger bands okay so we're just yeah. looking at a technical indicator called bollinger bands looking at a 20 day moving average and how many standard deviations we are away from that 20 day moving average. Okay. So if you're at the top Bollinger Band, you're going to be on the far right of that compass. If you're at the bottom Bollinger Band, you're going to be at the far left of that compass. Okay. And then on the Vol side, we're looking back historically at Vol and giving it a percentile rank on where implied Vol has been trailing for a year or a year and a half. And if that is low, then it means Vol is near the lows of the last year and a half. If it's high, it means Vol is near the highs. So right now, vol's in that kind of 25 percentile area, so Mm. it's cheap, but it can get cheaper. But spot is quite stretched on the Bollinger Bands, right? Now Mm. bear in mind those Bollinger Bands are only 20 days, so it's not a really long-term horizon. Like some people might be like, Are you crazy? Like spot doesn't look high on Bitcoin, it looks low, right? On a longer-term chart. But we're we're thinking more tactically in the way we're looking at it, and on, on that shorter term time frame spot is stretched near 20k because we were at 18k a week ago right so that's that's what that that strategy compass is a mean reversion framework on a on a relatively short time frame on the spot indicator and then on the longer term slightly longer term you have to look a bit further back in terms of vol because vols mean reverting and you kind of want to know you want more data to look at in terms of whether vol is cheap or expensive yeah
1: Okay, I get what you're saying. Yeah, so spot is overstretched because we're, you know, the price is going from, you know, left to right. And if we're, you know, if we're uh, farther away from mean reversion, you know, we're heading more to the right because price is increasing to the right of that chart and the implied volatility is going up, right? And so a mean reversion that below the middle line, we're kind of, uh, you know, implied vol is low and we're in, like you said, the 25 percentile. And then if it's above, it's higher. Um, So I guess, but I guess, you know, just, I guess for, I, because when I was looking at it, I, I would say that I, you know, I was maybe initially confused because I, I noticed that there was like the, you know, the outer circle, inner circle, and then you know those circles. And so because I saw those two, um, you know, the 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 straddle, strangle as a strategy, and also bearish bearish risk reversal, I figured that maybe those were two different strategies, and you know the that someone could use but i get what you're saying now in
0: terms yeah, of i mean the way. circles don't mean a lot the circles are just there to kind of help you see where the cross is basically right just to ah. see the extent of how far the cross is from the middle but the circles yeah. themselves don't actually mean a lot yeah ah
1: okay very good takeaway there <laughs> uh, okay so moving on to the next volatility dashboard we have uh, ethereum uh, explain uh, you know let's walk us through what's what's going on here
0: Yeah, I mean, it's a similar picture in Ethereum, right? It's just, um, you look at it, the the main differences, I would say, are that spot doesn't look as stretched. So spot's maybe got a bit more upside in it, because obviously, Ethereum's had a bit of a beatdown post-merge. So it might need to rally a bit more and get its head above 1,400, 1,450, something like that, before you really feel comfortable reselling it again, or hedging yourself for any longs. Um, In terms of the vol, the vol's not quite. As cheap as Bitcoin, so that's why we're closer to the buy put spread zone, uh, closer to the middle where we're saying buy put spreads. So basically, what we're saying is, Vol's not cheap enough to buy outright puts. So if you want protection, you'd be you'd be a buyer of put spreads because that cheapens your carry. You don't have as much Vega exposure, and then if Vol continues to come down, maybe you buy back that short put that you sold against your your original front put strike or something like that. So that's what. And then the carries the carry indicator is is pointing to you know the 90th percentile rank, which is saying that versus realized implied vols look pretty high in Ethereum. So another confirmation that I probably don't want to just buy a load of outright volatility in Ethereum at this level, because it's definitely got room to ease and come lower.
1: That makes sense. So when you're saying a uh, put spread, I guess it'd be important to just define that it's you know a long put at a higher strike, short put at a lower strike, and it kind of limits your maximum profit, but also limits your maximum losses. Uh, so you're kind of you know the 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 profit of the profit and losses of of one and the other kind of offset each other
0: to kind of come back towards. Yeah, I mean essentially, a put spread is just a cheaper version of a put with less upside. That's what. It is. Yeah, less upside. Yeah, less yeah. upside, but less cost as well.
1: Very, very interesting, man. Very interesting. Anything else that that from this this uh, chart that you feel like you'd
0: want to share with the viewers? No, I mean you could just see, you know, realize if falling off a cliff on Ethereum, right? So it's just, uh, you know, some people think that 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 means that it's it's going to bounce because it's mean reverting. Personally, like I say, I don't feel like there's that strong crypto specific specific drivers right now. I think it's going to follow the macro uh, beat and the macro beat, and therefore Bitcoin and Ethereum are going to kind of. Trade in line with each other. So, like I said, I would tend to agree that at the minute, if you're a buyer of Vol anywhere, you'd rather buy Bitcoin Vol than ETH vol, because this stuff can still compress. Like something I was suggesting maybe to subscribers in my daily note today was that gold looks stretched to the upside, right? Gold's had a strong bounce in line with equities recently. So selling calls on gold looks quite attractive right now. But then do I want to u- do I want to use that premium to buy? puts on gold, or would I rather buy puts or put spreads on Bitcoin? Yeah? Where do I get the most bang for my buck to the downside if, if you know, liquidity situation continues to deteriorate and markets have a break to the downside? Yeah, some people are calling equities S&P down to 3,000. If that happens, where's crypto going, where's gold going? Right? I think you're going to get more bang for your buck owning crypto downside than you are owning gold. Because gold might suddenly start to kind of find a bit of a safe haven bid if markets really start to look very ugly, right? So it hasn't up till now. The strong dollar and real yields have kind of kept a lid on gold, but the price actually in gold last week was quite encouraging and it did find a bit of a bid, okay? And that's because the Bank of England pivoted with a bit of QE and now everyone's trying to price the pivot. So that's bringing a bit of strength to gold, but it's not giving that strength to crypto right now for whatever reason. So it seems like the buyers in crypto are a bit absent right now. Maybe it's because retail have kind of got beaten up in crypto and have not got fresh money to put to work because they're too busy filling up their cars or buying groceries right now than sticking money into crypto. That might be part of the thing. So, so for me, I just think you've got to be careful to the downside in crypto, and 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 it probably does break at some point. I think a break of 18k is probably inevitable. In Bitcoin, uh, and the, you know the the Bitcoin Maxis are going to hate me for that, but you know until it gets to twelve k, I'm not filling my boots.
1: And how are you getting to that twelve k figure? I know you I've seen you cover it before. Are you
0: just, just, just a, like an just, a wave? Just a sensible. It's a sensible technical target, really, right? If you if you yeah. kind of look at the moves and you look at if we do get a breakdown of the latest support zone around 18 k, it's a sensible technical target. I mean. That that target can be revised if and when we get down there, depending on the ferocity of the move and the momentum to the downside. You know, that's the whole the nature of technical analysis is constantly evolving and changing. Basically, but just right now, you could paint a picture where your final leg down that completes this move takes us into that zone of ten to twelve k, and that's enough to finally put in the lows, right? But 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 you know, if we get down there in two weeks. Then you're going to have to reevaluate that because, on that sort of momentum, it's highly unlikely that's going to mark the low. Very, very interesting.
2: Uh, and
1: so the, the other thing i wanted to ask you and we were kind of speaking about this off camera is that you know last time you were on crypto unwrapped i thought you know you made a really great point about the difference between for bitcoin in ter- is there, in terms of being an inflation hedge uh, versus a, a currency debasement hedge can you walk us through that uh, those that thinking that you have there
0: yes yeah, so, so people you know back in the day you know people got confused with the idea of so thinking bitcoin was an inflation hedge and what we had before was asset price inflation we didn't have real inflation right cpi was at 2% or whatever for ages okay but you had constant asset price inflation s&p was charging up properties were charging up you know and and bitcoin was flying okay and people are like, oh look see it's a hedge to inflation because assets are inflating and it's going up but the reality was is it's not a it's not a hedge to real inflation it's a hedge to fiat currency debasement which inflates financial assets right but when the price of things that you have to buy, like energy and food, go up, that type of inflation forces a reaction function from the Fed because it's politically unpalatable, because people are really struggling, right? In in the real economy. And so once you get a political mandate because of real asset, not re- yeah, real asset inflation, you get that political mandate that comes down and the Fed's like, your priority is no longer growth it's price stability, bring prices back down. And then how do they do that? The only way they're going to do that is by crushing demand and tightening liquidity and taking rates up. And those things are not good for Bitcoin. right? So Bitcoin doesn't work as a real inflation hedge. It works as an asset inflation hedge, financial asset inflation hedge, which comes from currency debasement, which is a different thing.
1: Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And I guess that kind of begs the question. I think we were talking about this earlier that you were saying that it's kind of a the inflation we're seeing in real world assets is because of a a
0: supply issue, correct? Yeah, I mean it was a bit of both, right? There's people who say it was only supply and 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 I think that's been debunked a little bit, right? There there was a massive demand impulse as well, right? People were forced to stay home for like a year or two. And you know they basically consumed the hell out of goods, right? And that's why all these commodity prices went through the roof, right? Lumber prices went to where they went to. Obviously, they rolled over again now. But people were like, "Okay, I can't go out and spend money, so I'm going to do up my house." Yeah, and 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 I've got the money to do that because the government just sent me a check. So there was a demand shock. There was also a supply shock from what happened with Russia and Ukraine, and the inflation was was a consequence of both of those shocks, right? Yeah. And we are now we're working our way through that. Now, I would say the Fed has more power to impact the demand side than it does the supply side, clearly. Yeah. Um, but you know they they're they're doing their best to to bring that back down absolutely man well i want to get to final takeaways from you
1: and then you know start bringing ash back in but before i do that i really think i'd love it for you to you know i, you, I know you've work, been working really hard on creating a, a new format for your website i believe a new volatility dashboard yeah. tell the viewers where they can keep up with you and what type of things they can expect from your
0: your website Great great um, well you can obviously you can find me on Twitter uh, at options underscore insight I'm still posting on there regularly um, for those of you who've been following me you know I, I was generally doing sort of once a week type market commentary macro and options uh, I've completely changed that up now now for subscribers I'm doing a daily note where I write my commentary, which is focused around what I'm seeing on my volatility dashboard on a daily basis and trying to identify macro trading opportunities that will either help you mitigate your risk if you have positions on, or optimize your returns to try and earn a bit of carry, take a directional bet on something that looks good value and gives you leverage to your capital and things like that. So trying to identify as many daily opportunities as I can within the macro cross asset volatility space. And then I also do weekly products that are based around my own options portfolio, where I show you what I'm putting on out all the ideas that I might publish during the week. I'm not going to trade every single one of them, but I am going to put on certain trades. I'm going to tell you why I'm doing that. I'm going to tell you how, I'm sizing, how I would be sizing that in a certain size portfolio, and then how I would restructure those trades, take profit, stop losses, all of that sort of stuff, how I aggregate the risk, analyze it. And figure out whether I need to adjust my positions and stuff like that. So I do that on a macro base, on a macro level, and I also do a, a crypto weekly as well, where you know we look through some of the screens that I've shown you today, and and we do a similar thing, but fo- try and focus it more on crypto.
1: Amazing! It sounds like the the place to definitely be to keep an eye on things. Imran, real briefly before I bring Ash back, final takeaways: the kind of maybe like two main points that you really want to leave with bar with uh, with uh, viewers that we have for uh, for the episode today.
0: On a more medium-term perspective, you know, I'd be making sure you're hedging out some of your crypto. You know, I know the bounce hasn't been that massive yet, but I don't think the bottom's in yet. So, on a medium-term perspective, there's still hedging opportunity out there, and risk reversals look look good, particularly December maturity and longer. Um, implied volatility has still got room to ease a bit on Ethereum, so I wouldn't jump jump into Ethereum right now. Uh, in terms of equities and other things like that, you know, I'm generally still quite bullish on oil, um, on the energy space in general. Uh, I think these frictions, these geopolitical tensions and things aren't about to go away. Uh, I think, And I think Biden is going to run out of oil to release on the market at some point. So I think oil is probably going higher. Um, that's going to probably mean inflation longer term is going to stay sticky uh, and so the fed's going to have to stay the course and take these markets lower at some point. So whilst I'm tactically since last friday been a buyer of the market, I've already started lightening up on some of those tactical longs at 39 to 4000, 3900 to 4000 I'd be getting rid of all those longs and probably leaning very short again and that's kind of my tactical outlook. Super interesting. Ash, let's bring you back in,
1: man. You've been sitting here, you know, watching this uh, conversation between me and Emron.
2: Give me your key takeaways, dude. Wow, great conversation. That was a real masterclass. Here are some of the takeaways that I jotted down. Big picture, the dollar wrecking ball is still causing chaos. DXY is down from its recent highs, I should say, of around 115, but still trading at over 112 uh, right now as I look on my screen. In order to confirm what the Jolts data is saying, uh, Imran is waiting to see more viable data, for example, NFP, uh, which I suppose is a little bit like waiting for Guffman at this point. Uh, Imran is also looking to see what happens on CPI. Uh, Imran sees key levels uh, 3,700 for the S&P above 3,800. He believes there's going to be more forced buying. If you were looking, uh, if you were long on digital stocks, the Mara's and Coinbase's of the world, it might not be the worst time to buy protection. In Imran's view, the macro environment, according to Imran, is still likely to deteriorate into year's end. Finally, risk assets have a shot at going higher, but things are not rosy from the longer-term perspective. Uh, We've got a chance in Imran's views of taking out the lows by the end of the year. Marco, I know you've been studying these charts very closely. Uh, What were your key takeaways, especially on the volatility front, on the derivatives front? Yeah, I
1: thought it was really interesting, uh, specifically when uh, Imran was talking about the ETH BTC vol spread and how that's you know coming coming down. He was mentioning that you know we could we have historically seen you know lo- levels as low as zero or below zero, I believe he was saying. And so it's kind of I think something important to pay attention to. Uh, also, I think you know his the strategies that he had in the strategy compass are really interesting. You know viewers can go back and check out what what he was saying there. Uh, put spread for Ethereum, I believe it was buy puts. Uh, for uh, for Bitcoin, obviously not financial advice, but that was also really interesting to me. So the whole conversation was just was great, Ash.
2: Yeah, I thought so too. By the way, switching gears here a little bit from the derivatives to the macro side, I wanted to also point out. Imran draws a distinction between asset price inflation and real world inflation—the inflation of commodities and goods that people must purchase. When the Fed sees real world assets like commodities uh, rising, they step in uh, to smash the brakes and push down prices. Bitcoin has functioned as more of an asset inflation hedge. Uh, Now that the Fed has withdrawn liquidity, we're seeing things go a bit. The opposite way. By the way, I've got one more takeaway, which is Marco, you're crushing it uh, on all this derivative stuff, man. Really great to see you uh, just catching fire on camera like that.
1: Yeah, man. Kudos to Imran, dude. I was watching. Imran puts out great content on YouTube, so I can't even take the credit, man. Imran puts out great content, and I was watching his stuff, and I'm like, oh, it makes sense. So you know, definitely, if you're looking to learn more about it, I mean, Imran's a dude. Imran's, like, I think, like the top guy in this space for that. So appreciate, it. much appreciated, man.
2: Hey, Imran, on that cheery note, anything else uh, you would add in terms of key takeaways or anything that Marco and I said that you disagree with?
0: How can I disagree with you guys? You're bang on the money. But um, (laughs) what I would say is, if you do like this option sort of knowledge, and you want to learn more, and you want to learn to trade these things, we've got uh, got the options course coming out later this year on the Academy. So look out for that.
2: Fantastic. Guys, uh, that's it for today. Uh, Imran, Marco, thank you both so much for joining us. Cheers, guys.
0: Yep. Thank you, guys.
2: Hey, I should say, in closing, don't forget to subscribe. Real Vision Crypto is free. For those of you watching on YouTube, smash everything. Hit the like button, hit subscribe, hit the bell. Tomorrow on this show, we have a special crossover episode with Raul Pal, our CEO and co-founder with Adventures in Crypto. We're doing a live Ask Me Anything with him at 12 p.m. right here. That's 9 a.m. on the West Coast, 5 p.m. in London, midnight in Hong Kong, live on Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. See you all tomorrow.